Welcome back, everyone. I'm Dr. Adam Oppenheimer, and this is The Post-Op, and I'm here with the lovely Asada Jones. Hey, everybody. Thank you guys so much for tuning back in with us again. It's really been an honor to share these, um, really these stories, patient experiences, and also um, my philosophies. And as you saw from the last episode, deep technical dives, (laughs) very deep, into the nuances of the actual execution of plastic surgery. Yes, listeners, if you are back with us after that super deep dive last week, thank you so much and get ready to go deep again because we are talking about labiaplasty today. And I am, this episode, I think I've been hyping it since the trailer maybe, but I'm really excited to talk about this procedure because I have had such a like a come to Jesus moment with it. And it's, I think it's such a cool thing that you do. Yeah, this is definitely a niche specialty of mine and really of the entire clinic of women here that take care of patients who come in for labiaplasty. It's very nuanced. It's very specific. The entire process start to finish really encompasses more or less three weeks from when you come in for the procedure to when you're more or less fully healed. And so there are happiest patients. They're healed the quickest. They've they've moved on from us the fastest. And I think that it's I I always say labiaplasty is liberating, and I feel like that is really the most accurate way to describe the feeling and the sentiment of our patients that come through following the labiaplasty procedure. Yeah. So um, tell me about your cases this week, Doc. How have they been? They've been great. So we actually did a labiaplasty um, a little bit earlier, and that patient did great. Uh, We do them awake under local anesthesia. And so it's really interesting for me. so like surprising to me. I remember when I first heard about this, I was like, oh, for sure. They're like knocked out (laughs) and asleep. Like they don't wake up for a week. But like, no, I was proved wrong. And that's, it's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think being, it goes back to being gentle with people and it's not just being, you know, I say gentleness in all things and it's not just the physical it's a lot of the interpersonal too. I mean, it doesn't get much more vulnerable than being up in stirrups. Mm-hmm. I guess I know that because I wanted to see what it was like. So I went up into stirrups. It was like pretty intense. I mean, it wasn't you naked. Put your, you put your, yeah. And no one was in the room. So it was like, congrats. Wow. You're so brave for like going up in stirrups. <laughs> okay. Well, but you did, you did the best you could. And we we're very proud of you. For thank that. you. <laughs> Thank you. But I mean, super vulnerable. So interpersonally being gentle with them and kind of talking people through local anesthesia. I think that's an art form in a way. And also um, just getting over the inherent awkwardness of being in stirrups for, you know, I mean, a pap smear may be moments, you know, a speculum speculum exam is is minutes, right? But labiaplasty is you know, it can be about an hour, hour long. And mm. and usually that f- the first few minutes, there's there's a little more tension, there's muscle tension, and it's it's stressful for that first minute or two. And honestly, patients do wonderful and really kind of just get into conversation. And it's actually distracting for everyone. And we're just doing the technical work. Right. But I get to know my local anesthesia labiaplasty patients better than all of my other patients because- yeah those patients really are awake when I'm doing the work and the rest of the patients are asleep during tummy tucks and breast surgery and things like that. And so um, it's kind of nice. I actually like patients, you know, surgeons maybe are supposed (laughs) to just like doing the cutting and sewing, but I'm people who need people. You like the clinic time. You like doing the rotations. Yeah. I like clinic. So anyway, so yeah, it's it's a very, um, 
it's a very quick connection that we make with our labiaplasty patients and then we send them forth in the yeah. world and they're done with us which I, is great i have to say like when i was working as your receptionist and on the phones the the patients that i immediately connected to were the labiaplasty patients because there was a a level of um vulnerability but also the most of the patients that called were just so ready to change their life and that is what um you know to be completely transparent that's what caused that come to jesus moment that i had that realization because you know i didn't know anything about labiaplasty and so here i am looking at just the just the outside the packaging and the packaging is here is this white man doing, you know, surgery, labiaplasty surgery on women. And without even speaking to a person that wanted labiaplasty or that desired it, I had this assumption that you are passing judgment on women and about you're perpetuating the, sure. this is what what pretty body should look like or this yeah, is what a pretty... This is an ideal vagina. This is yes, ideal labia, according is, to me, right? Yes. It's like the ultimate male gaze in the worst possible way yes and that is to be perfectly honest i was like wait what am i who did i sign up to work where's the door right um but luckily the one of the what i want to say the second patient that i spoke to was a labiaplasty patient and it was the most eye-opening experience because this is someone who you know not to obviously not putting her business out there but this was a woman who was in her 50s who or excuse me not in her 50s she was in her late 40s she was going through a transition um in her life and she was just ready to not be uncomfortable and I didn't know that I did not know that that was a thing I didn't know that there were women that um had difficulties exercising that their labia does get in the way I did not know that that's not a problem that I experienced so of course in my limited world you know it doesn't exist which is you know that's my naivete but when I spoke to this woman and she was just so ready to get take control of her life to the point where she's just saying I just want to go on a run without having to stop every five minutes and be in pain and I was just like whoa wait a minute it was just one of these truly an eye-opening experience I remember I got off the phone after booking because it was one of those like oh my god girl let me get you in like as soon as possible like hold on hold the phone everything can wait she needs an appointment stat you know and um I remember plastic surgery emergency (laughs) it is (laughs) it's a plastic surgery emergency um but I, I do I remember getting off the phone and I think I went to one of one of my colleagues at the time and I was just kind of like just can't believe that this is something and I just didn't know about it and it was just one of those I don't know I felt so dumb like I no, just I truly mean, felt so dumb because I didn't no. realize that this was such a ish this one this was a problem but then I also felt dumb because I passed so much judgment on you as a surgeon I passed judgment on you as a man and I you know I'm glad that, you're coming clean about this oh this well I mean honesty is the best <laughs> policy I think I I don't think I like, I mean, no, I'm good I've with broken that. things around here that I just went straight to ja- <laughs> Jess and was like, hey, Jess, I broke this. And I Where's the super glue? <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Um, uh, but yeah, that's it's it's the truth. And I feel comfortable acknowledging that's that cool. because I I was so wrong and it's kind of good to be wrong, you know, and, and learn from that. I Yeah, I mean, we all have a very limited frame of reference about what it is like to have 
a body. Yes. We have one perspective of that. And that's as far as we can see in most cases. So I don't think it's even being naive. I think it's just being human. And one of the interesting things that has come about with me sharing or really with women wanting to share their labiaplasty procedures and their healing and their stories has been a lot of other women coming forward and saying, wow, I didn't realize how different our bodies are. Yeah. And I think that it's very easy to say, okay, there's many different shapes and sizes of a penis out there. And there's like, okay, this one, that one, long, short, big, small, like that's fine. But why is it that for labia, there's like just one conceptualization of what it really looks like. And of course, that's not the case. Right. And and I mean, to some degree, I know that, you know, we all look different and all that stuff. But to the point where it is disrupting someone's life enough and getting in the way of exercise, intercourse, walking. Yeah, clothing. clothing. Yeah, bikinis, yoga pants, everything. That, yeah. I mean, I was just like, whoa, what? Yeah. What's world were you living in I mean I know what world I was living in but I just felt so um I just felt really I felt bad because I was insensitive to the patient wanting labiaplasty and then I was also very judgmental on you so it was one of these like moments where I'm actually very thankful I had it because I kind of you know I, I tend to think I'm a good person and I you are make good, good judgment but also I'm a human being and I have an ego well, we're getting and my better. ego was getting big there. We're getting you know? better. Yes. That's that's the idea always for for yeah. us and for me and for all of us is that we can get better and widen our perspectives a little bit. Yeah, and about learn about things like labiaplasty, which is taboo or has been taboo for a long time. And yeah. you know, um I think that it's I think that it's important to again pull back the curtain, have some transparency about yes. how these procedures go. Um I think it maybe would be easier if I were a female provider. I think the field of OBGYN is, has very, very few men as yeah. physicians now, more and more over time. So I agree. I mean, I think it makes less sense for me to have become an expert on labiaplasty. But I also think at the same time that it requires extraordinary sensitivity on behalf of a male provider to mm -hmm. deal with these issues. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to take sensitivity up another level mm -hmm. i'm gonna go beyond the gentleness that i normally start with and i'm gonna be even more caring and careful and thoughtful with this person who's in a very vulnerable position um, about their genitalia right. and so it forces me or it inspires me rather to do even better yeah and i and like i said every day we're trying to get a little bit better um i feel that way about labiaplasty um as a male physician but just also as a a person right and as a, you know, as someone who's helping women who are in a vulnerable, you know, mm -hmm. position. So, yeah. But yeah, there's really, you know, two things that you mentioned. There's the, um, I think you focused more on the, on the physical symptom side, which is definitely there. I yes. think that there's, there's two reasons though, why women come in to see me for labiaplasty. The one is for the issues that you mentioned, pinching, pulling, pain with intercourse, pain with exercise, inability to wear certain clothes, having to adjust themselves during exercise and things like that. And then there's just the appearance side of things. Mm -hmm. You know, again, as I, I don't mean to keep saying this, um, but when we're talking about surgeries that change the way that we look, to what degree are they necessary? You know, right. to what degree are braces necessary? To what degree is a otoplasty necessary to pin ears back on a young child who has prominent ears? To what degree is male 
chest surgery when you have gynecomastia or male breast to what degree is that necessary mm-hmm. a bump on your nose you know these are all um part of this unique world of aesthetic surgery where we're doing functional surgeries that are also affecting self-confidence and appearance so right. you can't really extricate the form you know in and of itself from the function of you know of the body and that's what i think is beautiful about all of these elements of of plastic surgery and specifically about labiaplasty and so there's there's the appearance side and there's also the functional side yeah and if it brings more confidence like if they just become more open with themselves more confident then who who cares totally cares if it's necessary yeah yeah totally and that's such a we we feel like we talk about it almost every episode what is necessary you know yeah everybody has something so everybody has something yeah you know they didn't need that everybody has something Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. yeah. So that was my misconception about labiaplasty. What are some other misconceptions that you have heard of? I think the biggest one is related to probably male locker room antics, I guess. Mm. If I can just sort of summarize it that way, I think that's a very, everybody knows kind of what I'm talking about when I say something like that, mm-hmm. that promiscuity, multiple sexual partners, um, mm. something like that has to do with why the inner labia are elongated yeah so that's probably like yeah yeah. can we clarify because i i i was so excited to talk about this episode we just jumped right in but yeah what um let's describe to the listeners if they aren't aware and if they haven't googled it already what exactly is a labiaplasty procedure a labiaplasty is reduction of the labia minora or the inner labia very often with reduction of the tissues on the side of the clitoris area so the clitoral hood mm-hmm. um, some people call that area in a medical textbook the prepuce um, or labial reduplication which are those folds on the side mm-hmm. that may often and very often coincide with having larger inner labia so okay. it's a reduction of the inner labia along with some of the hood tissues on each side so what we were saying just a second ago some of the misconceptions some of that locker room talk about like promiscuity leading to longer labia or something like yes yeah it's completely false um and you know these are stereotypes that are perpetuated just like so many ignorant stereotypes that get perpetuated through history and then all of a sudden poof they're gone you know and i don't know why there's that breaking point where where you have one you know one breakthrough epiphany and it permeates through all of society and it's like oh you know that's okay now or oh we don't say that word now and it's just like it's really confusing as to why that even is perpetuated now that it has something to do with sexual intercourse it really does not most of the women who i see for labiaplasty and there's really i guess i would say a bimodal distribution there's younger women who come in maybe 18 to to early 20s that are like i've been waiting for this day to be 18 and that's usually how we where we consider doing a labiaplasty unless there's really unique extenuating circumstances for someone who's under 18 maybe they're an emancipated minor as that goes with which is another separate right. you know definition medically um, or someone who's uniquely mature uniquely motivated but that still is rare mm-hmm. most of the time these are young women um, you know late teens early 20s who are the first peak of the distribution of patients who come in and then there's another subset you know, kind of later, maybe, maybe late twenties, early thirties. So Mm -hmm. there's, there's that, it's probably more of a continuum, I guess, but 
but we see women who are like, I'm this tall to ride this ride. I've wanted to do this since puberty. So mm. I guess the answer to your question is puberty. I mean, hormones surging during puberty, they do all kinds of things to the human body. It is when men develop breasts. I, I think um, there's not a majority of men who do, but there's not actually a small number of men who develop transient gynecomastia or breast bud development. There are multiple areas in the body that are hormonally sensitive, mm -hmm. the genitalia, um, the breasts. And so it's common for men to develop during that time some breast bud or some gynecomastia, which goes away for the same reasons, the same circulating estrogens um, and, and hormones, the inner labia can become elongated um, and, you know, become problematic. And so when I see young women who are coming in when they're 18 or 19, these are women who since they were 13, yeah, yeah. 12, they were like, I always knew something was different. You know, and sometimes when they're, when they're coming from a place of more openness, they're like, yeah, my sister and I talked about this and she's like, why is yours like this? Yeah. And, or, you know, pointed it out to a mom or something like that. And so those are some of the situations where if they're younger, the mom would come with them and be like, yeah, right. she has always been bothered by this. And, you know, I support her interest in like changing this. a genetic this. thing too? I think there's always this, you know, environmental genetic interplay. You know, this is like genes plus environment equals like everything. And yeah. so certainly, yes, hmm. certainly, yes. But I think that... Um, yeah, it's really just circulating hormones, um, most often at puberty. Sometimes we see changes in women around or after pregnancy. I mean, there are certainly changes to the vulva, which is the external vagina, and right. then the vagina itself in childbirth. And so there are certainly changes that occur after childbirth. Sometimes we'll see tears of the labia minora in addition to the perineal tears. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so and there are also elongations that you can see or changes you can see after pregnancy. Sometimes that's from the outer labia getting actually a little bit smaller or a little bit atrophic. As we age, you know, our fat, our fat content and fat distribution oh. changes. And so sometimes the outer labia getting smaller can give the appearance of the inner labia getting longer as well. Wow. But circulating hormones during pregnancy can also cause changes. So sometimes we'll see that that's maybe the other half of the bimodal distribution where I'll see some older patients coming in and saying, you know, I had some of these changes from puberty. It didn't bother me as much. And then it seems like there's been more rapid changes. But I think that's a minority. Mm -hmm. And most patients I see are just like, this is from puberty. And that's very similar to gynecomastia when oh. men come in. And I don't do really gynecomastia surgery anymore, but men would come in and be like, yeah, this is just the deal that I got yeah. when I went through puberty and it's just always bothered me, you know? And so I think we just get, <laughs> we get the cards that we, that were dealt. Yeah. Puberty is that. a, it's a, that kind of crazy uh, roulette or the, yeah. what's the pulley thing, gambling thing. Yeah. Um, a slot machine. Thank Ooh. you. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. I, yes. We're two big gamblers here. <laughs> yeah, clearly. <laughs> wow. Wow. That, but that is fascinating fascinating yeah so tell me what is the consultation like what's the consultation like for a labiaplasty Do, I, I know that you offer virtual consultations is this something that a lot of people or that people patients should come in to see you or not necessarily and I think um I'd say it's maybe 50 50 you know just to be clear I I never when I do telemedicine, I guess we can call it that, mm -hmm. or virtual consults, which is kind of what we know them as. I never do video chats or video consults because I feel like that would make things even more awkward. And mm -hmm. so we usually have someone send in photographs if they're comfortable with that, or if not, they can, you know, come in. We have 
obviously we have a HIPAA compliant, you know, photo upload database system, yeah. you know, to, for privacy purposes. It's a portal. You can't just be sending any pictures willy yeah. nilly to the post op email. <laughs> yeah, no, this goes through our, our website um, for consults. And so some people have, you know, the courage to send in photos. Some people have the courage to come in, you know, and see me for consults. Some, sometimes it's both. But if you send in photos and you want to just do a virtual consult, you know, we have a lot of patients maybe from South Florida or from the Carolinas or things like that in Georgia, and they'll send in photos. We'll call them on the phone. I'll talk to them, you know, briefly, mm-hmm. just go over their health history and, and just make sure they know and understand the procedure. But I think a great many of them already do know and understand the procedure. And part of my mission has been to educate people about this procedure sharing lots of photos sharing lots of videos and i really am grateful for my patients for doing that because really it's them it's that 18 year old young woman who was like you know i was bothered since i was 12 and i didn't have anywhere to to turn to about this and you know a lot of a lot of other doctors will be like you know that's normal and it's true it's like gynecomastia is normal you know, longer inner labia is normal, not developing breasts, normal, you know, so, so it's just like whether or not your normal is concordant with your worldview for your body mm-hmm. or discordant. And so if, if it's discordant, if the body you are given is discordant with the body that you want, enter plastic surgery. Right, right. And so I'm really grateful for, for women who have decided to share their experiences with with labioplasty and we talked a little bit about you know medutainment versus um medication which maybe are horrible words we probably should just stop saying those words no no no, i like it they're made up we can make it a thing they're made up we just gotta keep trying um you know i think that certainly things can fall into both like is the human body endlessly fascinating absolutely is this very educational for me to understand more about my own body or right. about women's bodies in general. Absolutely. And right. so I'm really grateful for the women who have shared their experiences, have shared their photos, have shared their journeys. And a lot of them are super excited to watch it. I mean, if mm-hmm. if extra tissue has been bothering you for so, so long, you know, and you finally are liberated from it, mm-hmm. it's a very freeing experience. And yeah. I think that they're just so grateful to be past that. They almost want to want to like, empower themselves by by seeing it happen right and, so. and the only way that that you can empower other people is by sharing your experiences that's yeah. literally the only way and I, yeah. I i think that there might be something to the the trend that you see younger you know younger women like 18 18 to early 20s that they are used to things being shared on social media they're yeah. they're used to that empowerment online type of thing and yeah. they're used to hearing stories about people from across the country and all that stuff and so i think storytelling and sharing stories it's are special. a little bit more accessible to like yeah. the younger generation yeah and we um, are storytellers i mean that's what we do best you yeah. know this is in a way what we're doing now is telling it, stories absolutely. about our experience we love to tell them we love absolutely. to listen to them um it's but just yeah a more sophisticated version of sitting by the fire yeah and yeah. telling stories yeah i really like that and i do want to second your comment of um thanking the women that have shared their stories and are giving their consent to their po- their pictures being shared and stuff yeah because for it, sure um kind of reminds me of that uh i don't want to say the insane thing i said but the confession I made um, a couple episodes ago, I can't even remember at this point, but that I didn't know that black women got lip fillers. And that's because it was for a long time, black women didn't talk about it. Like, yeah. 
I didn't know black women that got lip fillers. And then uh, sometimes the ones that did or the Hispanic women that I know that have gotten plastic surgery, they don't share. They don't talk about it. They might be ashamed. It's like a little bit of a shame-based thing. Yeah, there's a a segue happening. There's a transition happening about it. But we're still caught up with a lot of things. We're getting there. And that reminds me of like, you know, do you know when you can have a rhinoplasty as a young woman? Actually at 16. So that's that's the and age. that's and it's kind of now totally one hundred percent okay, mm-hmm. right? You have a bump on your nose, sixteen, seventeen, your facial bones are finished developing, and so that's not really taboo. Yeah, you know, it's not well, taboo. It's normal to, now if like you go away for the for the summer and your friend's face looks a little different, and you're just sure. like, oh, okay, whatever. Like you're, you know, we pin children's ears during otoplasty at like age five or age six, and so. You know, I'm not sure that that's taboo. There is something about it being genitalia that makes labiaplasty above and beyond taboo. Yeah. And so I think we're getting past that. You know, it's very interesting for me to see, especially on social media, like what nudity is censored, what nudity is art, what nudity is is sexual, what's only fans content versus Guggenheim, Mm -hmm. you know, museum content Mm -hmm. versus... um, photography versus boudoir you know you'll find that there's a lot of boudoir photos that are not censored but you'll find that you know some version of only fans photos would be censored those accounts are deleted yeah um the guggenheim you know and the photographers that are doing it as art and black and white you put something in black and white and you're maybe that's what well, we should do is to i was just gonna decrease say, our risk of censorship the, just make it the black and white are getting censored just like put a nice filter on it some black and white black and, and white will do fine. it so so i mean i think <laughs> that some of the reticence for accepting labiaplasty has been that it's just been taboo to have you know to have genitalia be yeah. part of the plastic surgery world and again it goes back to what i was saying last episode if i hurt women if i hurt patients if this was something that left them with an injury or nerve injury or sensation loss, which, by the way, is not something that I've ever experienced in over now 300 labiaplasties, zero women have problems with orgasm, changes in sensation, um, difficulty with pain with intercourse, known as dyspareunia. The number zero, mm-hmm. and so you know this is the the upsides of labiaplasty compared to even breast augmentation are even higher. Yeah. You know, like I said, these are our happiest patients, happier than the tummy tuck patients. So is that, is that a question you get a lot in the consultation? Like what are, like what's the recovery process like? Yeah. What's the, what's the time frame for, you know, when I can go back to activities? And is that the top question? I feel like that, you know, the, that is the main question, I think. And usually the answer is some version of, you know, like three days where you're just laying low. Okay. Where you're not really getting up and around ice packs and just resting. And then about three weeks till you can go back to the gym. And then sometimes we'll say, you know, six weeks before you can resume intercourse. So that's mm-hmm. that's the rough recovery phase. Okay. Um, so it's from okay, three so days to, to six weeks. You come in, you sub- or not really you come in, you submit your photos for the consultation. If you're comfortable or come in. Or exactly, come in, like you said. Right. They, the patient will chat with you for like an hour consult usually it's less the ladies will talk first for for maybe you know five or ten minutes it's this is one of those very specific you know procedures and it's more like i guess if i were to compare this emotionally with a surgery it would be the gynecomastia surgery but if i were to compare this technically with a surgery it would be eyelid surgery 
There's a small fold of extra skin above the eyelid. You pinch that extra skin out. Very high mm. value real estate. The whole eyeball thing happening. It's very important. Um, I'm sure there's a doctor word. The globe. Um, so so <laughs> you, buddy. the globe. Um, the whole eyeball thing. It's like, did you go to medical school? <laughs> you know, yes, I did. Um, so it's very similar technically. Very high value real estate the clitoris the vagina you know the labia themselves these these are all very delicate tissues with very high nerve endings the highest nerve endings in the body actually but um that would be how i would see it and so when you have your eyelids done you know you're not as specific about say like how much or how little skin you want removed you need enough skin to close your eye right but you don't want so much skin that you still have that extra fold of tissue and that is pretty much the labiaplasty. It's a little bit of this, you know, Goldilocks, not too hot, not too cold, yeah. just right phenomenon that is everywhere in my plastic surgery world. And so you need to leave a small cuff of the labia minora in order to have competence of the vagina. The labia minora are basically like the gatekeepers of the vagina, and they separate out the internal environment from the external mm-hmm. environment they close and cover over the urethra as well and then the clitoral hood tissues you need to leave the leave the right amount of that so that you still have coverage over the clitoris so you don't have over overly sensitive contact on the clitoris itself so, so. the patient really just has to have the desire to yeah. have a labiaplasty they don't need to worry about anything like there's no measurement like oh how much yeah Yeah. how much let's measure to see no that's that would be like if this were some kind of nail clinic you know they'd be like can we please measure this you know once and for all but it doesn't matter at all for for women it's just you know you have extra tissue that either a bothers you physically or and or b bothers you you know emotionally or aesthetically and that's... so you can have either or or both. And usually there's both. Right. And then that's it. And so for, for me, for the exam, you know, it's all about like four seconds, you yeah. know. And I basically like, yep, you have, you know, y- yes, you you understand your body. Yes, you, you know, would be a good candidate for this. Yeah. Um, and then every once in a while, I will say, like, sometimes I'll examine someone. I'll be like, you have clitoromegaly, which is enlargement of the clitoris, which can happen in some women, usually from taking exactly. external steroids like testosterone and you can have enlargement of the clitoris which um you know basically can um be more exposed Mm -hmm. and make it look um more imbalanced than than what you would want and so some women will have that and they'll be like i want a labiaplasty and i'll say actually this is the clitoral it's the glands clitoris itself that's enlarged and there's not a great operation certainly not one that i perform to reduce Right. The clitoris. But by and large, women, you know, they know their body. There's a there's a lot of photos now online, again, thanks to them, you know, and and also just the, you know, opening of our collective eyes to bodies um, in a non pornographic way, in a medical way. And that has allowed a lot more people to educate themselves about this whole process. And right. so usually I'll examine them and I'll be like, yeah, there's exposure. Your inner labia are hanging down low, lower than your outer labia. They're, or they're beyond, you know, your outer labia, which we sometimes call labial show, where there's show of the inner labia beyond the outer labia. That's a big concern that that women have that they want reduced so that at least when when they're standing, that all that they can see would be the outer labia. Outer labia. And um, 
and yeah, then I'm just like, okay, great. Yeah, we can do this. Here's, here's the approach that we take for, you know, using all absorbable buried sutures and mm -hmm. making the closure really delicate. Wow. So, okay. So let's talk about the day of surgery as a patient. What what can I expect? I know that I have the option to go to sleep or stay awake. And I know we mentioned that a majority of your patients opt to stay awake and like watch 90. the surgery live, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Which is kind of like the most, I think, is like the most badass thing you could do. Like you're just like, yeah, I'm watching myself get a surgery. Like how tough am I? <laughs> like yeah. that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. I would say there's probably zero men who are like, let me watch my right? vasectomy <laughs> exactly. live under local. Because they do that under local as well. Yeah. A lot of the time. And it's two seconds. But yeah. I've, I've had, yeah. I know some friends that have had the, their vasectomy done because they're done with their families and stuff. Yeah. And they were just like, you know, looking no. away, cringing. Zero percent. Zero percent of men are watching their big vasectomies. Totally. <laughs> totally. Um, no, I would say 95% of patients will have the surgery under local anesthesia. I see them again in pre-op. Very often I don't examine them. If they've sent in you know, photos through a virtual consult, I already have a sense of what the plan is from the photos. Um, you know, So I don't examine them that, that morning until they go back into the operating room. We use a topical numbing cream, mm, actually, okay. that we put on a pad, like a maxi pad first. So that helps decrease pain in that area like topical lidocaine that women may have had for laser hair removal or mm -hmm. or ipl or something like that and then we bring the patients back they go up into stirrups one of the ladies my nurses sets up the you know the field and then we um use a little cryo spray like a little liquid nitrogen spray right before we do the injection so the skin is kind of extra cold mm -hmm. and the shot doesn't hurt as much um and then you know very delicate suturing um polite conversation Enya in the background. Enya in the background. Nice. So they're the able to go app. home. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the fireplace app on Netflix. On the TV, yep. So the patient's able to go home that same day. Yep. And then just come back a week later. Like, yeah. Just chill. We give them an ice pack. Uh, we give them uh, nonstick gauze, um, the lovely mesh um, postpartum panties that we oh, sometimes are, affectionately yeah, know as granny panties. <laughs> um, and we use... Um, you know, we have a full recovery kit with all the ointments, additional ice packs, more pads, everything else. So there's not a lot of guesswork that people need to do for coming here, um, you know. And we also dispense medications, which are pain meds, and we, we give patients a um, yeast infection med just in case. Mm -hmm. We don't use a lot of antibiotics, um, and we actually prep the skin with baby shampoo instead of betadine and other Very preps gentle. we find that when we were prepping with years ago when we would use betadine which is a um like a bacteriostatic you know skin prep mm -hmm. for surgery is that women would much more likely be much more likely to get yeast infections because it would kill the normal lactobacillus flora that's there and it would open up for you know for other other microbes to basically take yeah. over that um environment and so so we we used baby shampoo um and then we send people on their way with you know with those recovery kits and they hang out at home for a few days um usually they come in to see one of the nurses at one week um if they want they come in and check in back with me at three weeks i'd say maybe half of patients even bother to do that they're just like thanks I'm for yeah great. thanks for doing like i said in the breast surgery thanks for being excellent during that hour and a half that i needed you i don't really need you anymore and that's that's great so that is so cool in my short time as your receptionist, I had the pleasure of watching patients come in during their consultation and then for their, their final post-op. And it's just the, the glow up 
yeah. you know, is is so life-changing. And it's like we talked about on that previous episode. It's the ripple effect. You know, it's the ripple effect in the pond that just yeah. um, continues on. Yeah, and, and these are our, our lives. These are our happiest cool. patients. Yeah. And that's, that, that maybe is surprising to you to hear. Um, it's maybe a little surprising to me in a way also, but it doesn't change the fact that they are. Yeah. They just, they're just thrilled to be on the other side of something they've really wanted for a long time. Yeah. And a lot of patients are driving themselves to the facility that morning and driving themselves home. And I think that, you know, while it may be transiently uncomfortable to have to be up in stirrups and mm-hmm. to have, you know, a little needle poke at the edge of the labia, which is very sensitive, um, I think that there's much less apprehension with that than there would be of, you know, going under, as you say, yeah. or being put to sleep, as you say, yeah. for, for an anesthetic. And so for, for a lot of women not needing to phone a friend, not needing to have a chaperone, um, it's, it's also, um, it, it simplifies the process for them yeah. in, a, in a meaningful way. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's, yeah, because logistics are a real thing. Yeah. Oh, wow. Dr. Oppenheimer, thank you so much for chatting with me. Like, this can we talk more about labiaplasty? Yes, we can. Um, I feel like we, I always can. That was a rhetorical I think, question. Yeah, I don't think I'm we... like, allow me, Asada. You're like, nope, rhetorical. <laughs> we got to wrap it up. But um, we we might have a part two coming up maybe next season. We'll see. Ooh, next season. Yeah. Cool. I like the sound of that. Yeah, um, me too. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions for us, if you have any questions for Dr. Oppenheimer, please send them our way. The email is the post op post opp at gmail.com also please follow and like the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening on leave us a review we love love to read some reviews and um yeah we'll be back next week dr oppenheimer anything you want to say to listeners thank you guys again thanks for tuning in um listening into some of the more technical elements of the procedure and um Yeah. Thanks again to all of the uh, patients that I've taken care of for labiaplasty that have not only trusted me, but also um, paid it forward into the world and Uh, and shared their experience with with others to try to, again, demystify and, um, you know, make transparent what it is that we're really doing. Um, So thank you. Thanks for trusting me. All right. We'll be back next week. All right. Ciao. Bye.